You are now listening to T2B Podcast, where we hashtag real talk the gay experience from top to bottom. From top to bottom. Top to bottom. Top to bottom. So this week, um, we have someone that is very near and dear to my heart, a special friend of mine uh, by the name of Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hello. What is um, so significant and special about our relationship is that I first met Taylor as Kaylee's. And so by process of elimination, uh, you can guess that this week's episode is about being trans or becoming trans. No, just being trans. Yeah, it's kind of like, how do, it's not so much that I'm like changing me, just being a better version and a more authentic version. So it's just me being this person now. Okay, what is trans? Like for someone who's never known or thought or seen something like this, if, if the word trans, what does that mean to you? And how do you define it? When someone is transgender, identifies as transgender, it's that the gender that they were assigned at birth does not match up with the gender that they embody currently. For me, being trans is inclusive. So trans asterisk, if you've ever seen trans with an asterisk, that means it's inclusive of all trans identities, not just transgender men or transgender women, but non-binary, non-conforming, genderqueer, two-spirit, agender, all of those things are, are trans asterisks, so that's all underneath this trans umbrella. Trans is a way for me to be as authentic as I can, for me to present as authentic as I can. Um, finding ways so that others see me for who I am and not uh, this label that I'm like we're all constantly being put into. I think that it, for for at least for myself, and I know for, for some of my trans friends, you know, just this identity alone is... Um, a piece of freedom, you know, it's, it's something that we have control over and something that we're taking steps to um, show our authentic selves and, and the alignment between body and mind and sometimes spirit or soul or however, you know, folks wish to describe it. But for me, it's just, it's just the act of me um, being a complete person. How do you guys know each other? Um... We had done this youth leadership program um, called Any Town in New Jersey. And when I first met you, you were Kaylise. And so yes. between Kaylise and Taylor, where did, Ta- where, where did Kaylise meet Taylor? Uh, September 16th, 1986. That's when I met myself. Um, <laughs> uh, I think... To be, to be honest, if I'm looking back at my life now, I can see a lot of instances where there were little bits of genderqueer me, like, trying to pop through. Mm. In my everyday life, I usually just go by K or K Taylor. That's how most people know me, because that's how they usually find me on social media. Okay. I stopped going by Kaylee's, and it's not even that I've stopped going by my birth name. It really just depends on the situation. Like, those closest to me, obviously, like Stefan, can call me Taylor, and, like, it's totally okay. Um, versus like people that I meet on the street, I will only introduce myself as K mm. um, because it's slightly, it's, it's a little bit impersonal, but like once they get to know me, then I would divulge more about my identity and about, um, what I like to be called and my preferred pronouns and, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I would say that when I, when I was in college, right. So we're talking about like 2006, maybe 2007. So almost 10 years ago, having had a conversation, um, with a friend about like, you know, I don't really know if like being a woman is for me. Mm. This coming from someone who I was at an all women's college 
And it just was one day where I just was like, you know what, what does trans mean? I mean, and I, and I was a women's studies major, um, so we, we were very versed in the things that were available to us at the time. And I don't think that the idea of transgender identities was a thing that we talked about, but it wasn't something that we ignored either. Mm. Uh, and I remember feeling like there were times where I was like, this is not me. And given the opportunity, I applied for a job and on the job application, one of the options was gender nonconforming. And the moment I saw it, I checked it off. And it wasn't until afterwards I realized how easy that had been for me. Mm. How easy it was for me to be like, wow, I didn't have to hit woman. I could hit nonconforming and still feel like myself. Uh-huh. Um, and it just it led to all of these moments where similarly to when I had come out as queer, thinking that like, oh, my gosh, all these moments from my childhood where I was like, oh, my God, I was really gay back then, <laughs> like really, really gay. Uh, same thing happened to me where I looked at myself and I looked at experiences that I'd had as a kid and realized that in some ways it was like shaping, like the disconnect that I'd always felt with my body and the, uh, the difficulty, like when, when Stefan and I, you know, when we would do camp and we would talk about body image, why I was so uncomfortable, so, so uncomfortable talking about body image. Um, and I'd always thought is because like I had always been heavier and it wasn't until my twenties that I started like shedding massive amounts of weight. Uh, that I realized that it wasn't my weight that made me uncomfortable. It was the gender expression and the gender um, presentation that I had in public that made me uncomfortable. It had been the years of um, being this person that I just felt like I was supposed to be, not someone that who, who I authentically was. And it just kind of all started clicking to me. And I went into a therapy session with my, my current therapist and I the first day she asked me the question, I was like, listen, so I have some ideas about why I'm here and this is what's been happening and where do we go from here? Mm. That's really all it was, was me recognizing that if I didn't acknowledge those parts of myself and um, if I wasn't honest about those parts of myself, that I was not going to survive. So it, it was for me in ways, I would say life or death. Yeah. Life or death? How? Um because I was drowning. I, I don't even think that the people around me knew that I was drowning. The only person who maybe would have seen it was my girlfriend. Um, I was very unhappy and I was so confused. And, and not to be confused as to say that all of this is a confusion, like folks who come out the woodwork and are like, oh my God, being trans is a phase and you're, you're just confused and you just haven't had the right whatever. No, I meant like for me personally, I was confused about the feelings that I was feeling. It was very conflicting and very suffocating, uh, not having anyone to talk to about it. I absolutely had to find a way to face it and to just look it head on and say, who are you really? And when did this happen for you? This moment you're talking about right now? Um, over a year ago. Okay. Um, probably like March or April of 2015, because the following May, um, I started therapy. And I've been in therapy ever since. Okay. And so before, did you identify as a lesbian? No, I just identified as being queer. I had always been queer. Okay. Um, sans, like when I was in high school and I was like, I'm bisexual because I, I still liked men and I liked women. Uh-huh. Um, my queer identity developed when I was in college, right? When I took a queer studies course and I had been in the Women's Center for like a year or so. And I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, other black people who are not necessarily fitting into these box of what it means to be gay or what it means to be straight... Um, and that's when I realized, I was like, oh, so my queerness doesn't just include, you know, who I'm sexually attracted to. It includes my political views. It includes my gender expression. It includes my, mm. my feminism and my womanism. It, 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 it included all of those things. So how long have you and your girlfriend been together? 
we'll be celebrating our 10-year anniversary in January. Wow. Yes, Stefan knows it's been a saga. <laughs> it's definitely, it's been, a, it's been a long journey with some breakups and some other partners in between. Um, the universe has always led us back to one another. Okay. Through, through good and bad. So, you know, she would have been the person who picked up on, on what was going on in my life and supported me through it. If I, if I take on the role of your girlfriend, is she queer? Is she a lesbian? Like, does she, what does she identify as? Or like, how does, what does your relationship look like? Well, we identify as a queer couple. Uh, she identifies primarily as bisexual um, and I identify primarily as queer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people look at us, uh, for lack of better words, they see two queer women together. Um, I know that there will come a time where that won't be the case. Uh, and then we will look like a heterosexual couple. Mm. Uh, so there are times where we talk about, I talk about specifically losing my visibility in the queer community. It's been such a huge part of my life for so, so long. I couldn't imagine not being a part of it. But um, we we are. We're just a queer couple. We're just two folks who love each other. But how do you lose your visibility in the queer community? Uh, if I'm on testosterone for however long I decide to do it and people will read me mm-hmm. as male... They'll read me as male, and they'll read her as female. And if they see us holding hands, they will likely read us as a straight couple. So you're saying, like, first impression? Yeah. Okay. Right now, first impressions were just probably just two two women. You know, being uh, on hormone replacement therapy is a long process. For many people, it's a lifelong process. Um, I know folks who go, who go on hormones, whether they're, um, you know, femme or like more feminine or more masculine, whatever hormone they're on. You know, sometimes they go in for two or three years and then they stop or they taper off for a little bit and then they go back on. Um, For me, I don't know what what that looks like yet. I've been on hormones for uh, well over a year, going into almost in January, be a year and a half. Um, And I have no intentions of stopping anytime soon. Um, But we're just, it, it gives me the anxiety when I think people look at us as a straight couple, but it also gives me dysphoria when people look at us as two women together. Um, it's very complex. Are you planning on going through the full transition? Well, there is no full transition for any one person. Um, but I, my, my intention is to have top surgery. Um, that's, that's the forefront of my mind um, for 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a doctor lined up and, you know, insurance is a thing because it's, it's almost a $10,000 surgery. Wow. I've been to Thailand, and one, just the the katoi, um, what is better known in American sort of, you know, I'm using air quotes as lady boys. There, the the surgeries there are so advanced, and I actually, um, uh, a gym teacher of mine who ended up adopting one of uh, her students actually brought what it was her and now him to Thailand. I mean, because if you think of just American insurance and how expensive it is and how this is seen as as you're electing to do something versus it being something that is actually a part of you and that should be treated as important as, you know, going to get a vaccine. Um, have, have, have you ever thought of something like that? Because $10,000 could bring you to Thailand, back from Thailand, and have the surgery. Yes. Um, I've never really considered it so much as the surgeon that I'm working with is trying to work with my insurance company okay. um, so that it is deemed medically necessary, that I would have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, um, that I've been living as a perceived gender, like living as male for 
X amount of time. So some insurance companies require one year of being on hormones and, and living as, as, uh, as the gender that you most identify with. Um, so I've met all of those requirements. It's just a matter of time and process. Um, it's not an impossible goal for me. Um, and a huge part of why I'm staying here is because my mother has agreed to um, both come with me to the surgery and to also take care of me for the weeks following. Uh, and she won't go to Thailand. So, um, uh, but, but yeah, so, so that, that's also a part of, of the process of, of the surgery or surgeries plural that I, I want to have moving forward, which is that, um, I, I need to have that support to be able to be with me in the moment. And, um, my mom had, had like the moment that I came out to her, she was like, well, whatever you need to do, let's do that. Uh, and so, so you've had, you've had support from your family. Uh, yeah. Those that do know have been very supportive. Okay. I have a younger sister. She knows she's very supportive. My, my parents are supportive. That's awesome. Um, and some of my cousins, we know. In your conversation with mom, did she know? No, she did not. She didn't have any idea. She burst into tears when I told her. And it, it wasn't a bad burst into tears. It was a perhaps, and I had written to her at Christmas that I'd wanted our relationship to get better. I, in a Christmas card, like a very detailed uh, note about wanting the new year uh, to be something that I was um, working on having a better relationship with her uh, because our relationship had already been good. Mm -hmm. But from the moment that I came to this conclusion that I needed to be in therapy and like all of those things leading up to that point and my, my distance, the distance I created with people, um, she could probably feel that. So when I finally did tell her, I almost backed out of it. I almost wasn't going to tell her, but then I had to tell her <laughs> she could feel that I had something to tell her. And so, from from the, the first thing that she said to me was, "Did I do something wrong?" And I said, "No, you didn't do anything wrong. This is mm. this is a personal thing. This isn't apparent. You did something wrong. Um, if anything, my mom created the space for me because she had always been open and honest, and I'd always been open and honest about being gay. Um, and she'd always accepted me and accepted every person that I brought home. My friends could come over and hang out. You know, she she was always very open and and supportive and loving of my of my gay identity. I had no reason to think that she wouldn't be supportive of this. It didn't make me any less hesitant or any less afraid. Um, but I was just prepared to know that she, she would not, um, she was, she wasn't going to cut ties with me. She, you know, she's shown up in ways that I feel like every parent should. Um, even in, in regards to pronouns, like she, when she, she introduces me, she introduces me as, uh, her number one, because I'm, I'm the oldest, right? So I'm number one. Uh, and then she, she allows me the space to introduce myself. Mm. Uh, and I remember the first time she did it, she looked at me and she goes, I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, and and I, I almost burst into tears because, you know, that, that shows like that care and concern that I feel like that, that all people need from their parents or, or from their guardians and, and their necessary support systems. So it's beautiful. So really quickly, before your um, before, you know, we started this interview, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours named Phil. And I was like, hey, I'm actually about to do this interview with Taylor for the podcast. And he had said, say hello to them for me. So I, I know, vaguely know that there's, you know, as you said, pronouns, like how, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, would you rather be called he, would you rather be called they or them or like, can you sort of walk us through that? Sure. Um, for the majority of the folks who I introduce myself to, I use gender neutral pronouns, they, them. Um, for folks closest to me, like my girlfriend um, and my other trans friends, they use male pronouns for me. And um, the folks who I'm not out to still use female pronouns for me. 
that's about to, I'm about to, to shut that down though, because uh, <laughs> I was in a situation recently, I was in a situation recently where um, my, my main focus as far as, because I'm looking at your, pro- your, your questions for me, so what was your day-to-day process like, um, but I'm thinking about like long-term process of my, my, my queer trans identity was that there were people that I did in order, right? So I told my mother first. That was first and foremost. Well, my girlfriend, who knew, so she, she knew. Um, and I told my mom, and then it was, I want to tell my sister. Then it was, okay, I have to tell my boss because I'm going to this camp, and, I, you know, there's things I have to get done, and I don't want people to misgender me. And so there was a long line. Um, the thing that I've been holding off on the most was telling my grandparents. Mm. Um, not really sure still how to approach this subject. Um, and neither of them have seen me uh, in the last six months. So the process of me just kind of coming out has been a little bit slower um, in finding the way to, to best um, reach my grandparents, you know, because they're, they're, they're so important to me um, and how I want to come out to my family, right? So I casually came out with my pronouns in a Facebook post. Like, re- like I just like, hmm. oh, I'm genderqueer and I use gender-neutral pronouns, and that's probably where Philip saw that. Hmm. And that's probably why he does that. Um, but just recently, Thanksgiving, um, I had opted to spend Thanksgiving with my girlfriend instead of us going to my parents' I went to my family's house, and a, a cousin of mine had been there interrogating another cousin. Uh, and I don't know why that maybe they thought that he, that cousin wasn't going to turn around and tell me, because he knew. He knew. We, we were very, very close. Um, and so that kind of lit that, that fire one more time, which is like, okay, so I need to do this again. <laughs> you know, I need to do this hardcore one more time. I think it must be really, really hard. Oof. To, it's like coming out two times. It, well, it's not just two times. It's every time. Mm. Every time. Every time, yeah, yeah. Every time. Coming out is a, is a that's a day-to-day process. <laughs> that's every, every person that I meet. It, it's more frustrating than, than coming out as gay, right? Because at this point, my presentation is masculine, and people just assume that I'm gay all the time. There's no room for me to, um, to come into a space basically anonymous and for someone to learn that about me. People just make that assumption and that that's just the way that unfortunately society operates. I think my frustration in coming out as gay has always been that the way that I love has been this thing that has been reduced to sex. Right. And so for you, when I think of trans, the first thing my brain will go to is private parts. And so what what I'm trying to get at is like what questions would you like to be asked? I like the question, uh, how do you identify? Uh, because then that 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 allows for a, a more it's it's more open ended, and I I can pick and choose what I want to share with other people, mm. um, as opposed to someone coming up and being like, hey, are you trans? I really hate that question. I really really hate that question because it's an assumption that they're making about me. Because if I'm not then what kind, what kind of anxiety or what kind of pressure are you putting on me and how I present um, just by asking that simple question? Um, and, I, and I would never want to put anyone in, in that situation myself. So I always just ask them, oh, can I ask you, how do you identify? What are your preferred pronouns? I, I default to gender neutral terms all the time. I, and I recognize it's, it's easy for me. It's easy for me because that's what I want others to do for me. Mm. Uh, and it's easy for me because I know gender very well, right? So... Um, but I often recognize that, you know, what I know about gender and what I know about expression, what I know about orientation, um, you know, is where I am at my life at this age. I don't expect someone who's much older, again, like my grandparents, to really have a, con- a, a concrete idea of gender and pronouns. 
you know, they didn't grow up in an era where this was something that was talked about, nor did my mom, um, versus even, you know, it's a lot easier with younger kids. Younger kids are very honest. They, like, call it like they see it. I had a young girl ask me, she's like, I want to ask you something. She's like, but please don't be offended, but are you a boy or are you a girl? Um, and, and it was that level of innocence that I was able to answer her question, you know, and I, and I told her, I was like, well, I was like, you know, I think some people want to ask me that question a lot and they don't ask me. So I'm glad that you asked me. And I'll tell you honestly, is that there are some days where I feel more like a boy than I feel like a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to, to explain it to kids. Adults, I feel like don't really get that. They see gender and sex as the same thing and they're not the same thing. Biological sex and gender are not the same thing. And I feel like exposure obviously helps a lot too. Um, I feel like maybe now versus five years ago versus 10, 15 years ago. Um, do you feel like it's, it's getting easier to explain? Who are your heroes? My heroes? With what you're going through right now, who are, who are the people that you look to? Um, who are the people that I look to? And they don't have to be celebrities. I mean, you could name celebrities. No, I'm, you... I'm thinking of my friends. I'm actually thinking of my friends. Um, I have a friend, I have a friend named Lex. Um, he's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I turn to him all of the time. I have a friend um, named Tez. He's an amazing, honestly, one of my best friends, someone who I talk to almost daily. Uh, I have a friend named Dan, um, who I call Sleepy Daniel because he's always so tired. Uh, but he, <laughs> he's, he's someone who I've, I've looked to for both um, compassion and understanding. And, and uh, I actually got the information from my top surgeon, from, from him. He had said, oh, this is the surgeon that I'm, go- I'm going to. And so when I went to the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference, I sat in on her uh, workshop, mm. and that's how I had the opportunity to meet her. So, so I, I would say those are those are definitely people that I I look up to. Um, you asked if it was easier now versus ten years ago or twenty years ago or whatever. Um, if I identified wholly as male, as a transgender male, then I think that it would be easier. But as someone who is non-binary, um, there is no representation of me anywhere, especially not as a person of color. And the trans community as a whole, to me, looks very white. Mm. White, cisgender passing, heterosexual, all the things I'm not. <laughs> okay. So it, the, the frustration and the irritation does not go away for me, particularly as a person of color, as someone who's non-binary um, and still under that trans umbrella because I, you know, would have to, I'm trying to carve space for myself because no one, unfortunately, not no one, I don't want to use like statements like that, but like, you know, folks don't, don't open their, their minds for non-binary folks. You know, it's easier for people to accept lesbians and gay men, but it's a lot harder for them to accept bisexual people because they feel like that's right in the middle. You can only like one or the only, or the other. You can only be one or the other. You can only be male or female. There's no one in between. Um, but I also recognize that that's a privilege that I have. I have knowledge and access to information uh, and education that, that, that folks just don't have sometimes. Right. So the irritation doesn't go away for me. Right. You said a big turning point for you was your gender study course at college, right? Uh, well, I was a women's studies major. I was comparative women's studies. Okay. Um, but it was just in that space of learning about feminism and learning about um, just resistance and social movements, um, learning about Stonewall, learning about Marsha P. Johnson, like mm. all of those things were were moments where I kind of like click, 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 click. Oh my gosh, this light bulb went off. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually came out to a professor as queer in a paper. 
you know, I felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. Like it, the space, the opportunity presented itself to me and I, and I took it. Um, but I, I would say going to an all women's college, 100% allowed me to confront issues that I never even realized that I had until I got there until I had been like a year in, I had been like a year and a half in and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. It was overwhelming. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine feeling like my gender is not 100% what I thought it was. And I'm really just concerned because I'm at an all women's college and what do I do? And, um, it was, it was wonderful having a person to talk to about it. Um, but also giving me that space to realize like, okay, there at least is another black queer person going through this right now, because that's the, that uh, up until that point, that was the only black queer person who I'd ever met who also had a similar gender identity or a, like a questions about their gender that I also had. Um, do you feel safe? Do I feel safe? In what context? Um, I think as someone who has known you for a very long time and as someone who has gone through at sometimes scary things as a gay person and you know what I mean? I think the, the, the umbrella, the, the, the umbrella term gay has been not, a, it's not, it's not around much longer as far, I think both all, all things have always been there, but as far as in the public eye and what has been accepted over time. And now we can see that there's a huge trans movement that's happening, you know, the, the new civil rights movement and, you know, the statistics that are out there are one people of color being targeted, but then also trans people of color, even more so when you walk outside, do you feel safe? No. You're the first person to ask me that question. I want you to know that the first person asked me that question. And the answer to that question is no, I don't feel safe. And my follow up is how, what can we do what what can, what can I do? Yeah, what can we all do? What can our audience do? People's hat, uh, passive aggressive state safety pins thing that that came out post Donald Trump's election, in the beginning, and I saw and I read an article about you know and, and Brexit and wearing safety pins, and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting way to show support to people. Until I thought about how many intersecting identities that I have, um, that make me a target every day. You know, I get called a nigger when I'm on the train. I get called a faggot when I walk down the street. You know, people stare at me hardcore all the time. And it's not my job as someone who is being oppressed to look for an ally, right? I don't need to look for a safety pin that for all intents and purposes, I'm in New York City. People wear safety pins all the time as part of like fashion accessories or whatever. That means nothing to me. I think that trans people need cisgender people, just as queer people or gay people need straight people to come out and say, you exist. Mm-hmm. Flat out. There's no debate about whether trans people exist. There's no debate about whether gay people exist. There shouldn't be a debate that women exist. You know, whatever it is. People have to come out and say that transgender people are real people and they deserve respect and compassion and support just as anybody else does. Um, I think that it's important for non-trans folks, so cisgender people, people who are not in the LGBTQ community, um, to recognize that when you hear jokes and you hear people make statements, every time you're silent about that, you're complicit. And, and, and that's not okay. Um, because we have to confront these issues head on. Um, my safety, you know, I, I, I don't feel safe, but I can defend myself and I can protect myself to a degree. But I would hope if someone saw me getting attacked on the subway to say something. Because you know how many videos I've seen of trans people getting attacked on the subway, verbally attacked, 
and instead of people standing up and 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 saying, "Hey, to this person, don't do that," or like what you're saying is really They're fucked recording. up, they record it, and then they put it on Facebook for us all to see. But nobody stands up and nobody says anything. Oof. You know, trans women, particularly black trans women, are dying at a rate that it is like beyond me. I I can't understand how people don't see this as an issue, and yet we're still sitting here debating whether or not trans people should be using the correct restroom. Validity. The community needs validity, uh, and they need people to speak up from inside the community, but outside, you know. I believe when we talk about folks who are allies, I believe you, you can't just claim yourself to be an ally, because I could be like, oh, I'm an ally to any marginalized group, and then literally never show my face again and never show support, but still take on that, that name. No. Being an ally requires real work. And I think especially with social media, people do that a lot, no? Yeah, it's, it's a lot easy to, easier to create a hashtag and to, to, to say, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's, it's, the hashtag is like, I'll, I'll go with you or whatever, right? Which is like was what popped up after North Carolina's ban on like transgender folks using the correct restrooms. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, that's so well and good for us to have a hashtag for like, I'll go with you. Yes, I would go with a trans woman in a restroom. I would go with a trans man in a restroom or a genderqueer person or whoever. But at the end of the day, me peeing with them isn't necessarily going to protect them when they walk out of that restroom. What if my use of that hashtag just means, like, in theory, I support you, but in practice, I'm going to back away? You know, social media makes it really cool for it to seem like we're all doing something when in reality, all we're doing is nothing. So in everything that you've just said, um, as we um, sort of, you know, find a way to not wrap up this conversation right now, but continue the conversation outside of what we've just brought up to the audience is what are the positive things that you're seeing out there? Are there any at the moment? Um, I, I do think that there's positive. I think that it's wonderful that, you know, we've got young people um, coming up right now who feel 100% open um, to be and present however it is they wish to do, to wish to present or wish to be. Um, their identities are their own. Um, I think that it's it's wonderful to have visibility, you know, visibility for ourselves, yes, but visibility for others who have maybe for much longer than us, you know, folks in their 50s and their 60s who decide that they can come out now because they see other people doing it, just as young people see older people doing it and see that it's possible for them. Like maybe right now I might be stuck because of my family or because of finance, but that I know that one day I'll be able to do that, not in the, the sense that it gets better. Because I would be lying if I said it gets better. Because for young black trans girls, they don't see it gets better. Um, mm. But I think for us to create a space that allows them upward mobility. That they, they can indeed dress and present and act and speak and exist however they wish to do that. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm 100%, I'm supporting trans youth in, in all ways that, that I possibly could. Um, I think that it's important that folks are starting to see trans people as people. Yeah. Right? Like, where one day I really honestly believe that being trans won't be a thing. Where asking for pronouns or identities will just be commonplace in a conversation, much like I say, hi, how are you? Uh, and I, I, I don't... I don't want to say that it's easy because it's definitely not easy. You know, it's like when, you know, you become aware of injustice, you don't just get to put on blinders and say it doesn't exist anymore when you know that it exists. You can't deny trans people's existence because there are so many of us. And and across the spectrum, not just trans men and trans women, but again, all of those folks who identify in between, 
just like how you it started off as lesbians and gays, then lesbian, gay, bisexual. Oh, lesbian, gay, transgender, uh, bisexual, queer, and then queer could be questioning A for allies or asexual or intersex or whatever it is. You know, we've expanded that community. We can expand on the trans community as well. It's just going to take time. Honestly, part of me feels like it needs to be taught more in schools, um, mm. but it's not... Mm. It's not something I think that, again, you got a lot of places not as progressive as living in New York City or living in Los Angeles or even, you know. And even there. Yeah, And even in the, these places, we recognize that not every school is teaching the exact same thing. But I think it's important for, um, for, for it to be taught in schools, for, for students to understand, you know, it can't be enough for, for me to do a workshop on gender as the first time a senior in high school hears it, or a freshman in high school, we we have to start young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there there has to there there has to be a way that we can humanize people, right? Instead of it just being some lofty concept of what transgender means, you know, putting faces to those terms, putting experiences and stories to those identities is is what's really important to me. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't speak as a representative of all trans people. I only speak as myself and the things that I've gone through and the things that I've learned and experienced. Um, and I think that that's also important. Actually, yes, that's important to recognize that not one trans person represents the whole trans community. Absolutely. Um, much like not one black person's actions should be representative of an entire race. You feel me? Or one religious aspect should, should you know, say that oh, all of the, this particular group acts and does things this way. Um, no one trans person represents everyone. It's all individual because... It's kind of the same thing that we say with our podcast is like, listen, this is our point of view. This is our experience. Um, and we want to share it with you, but we don't think we're experts and, you know, right. not everyone is like us. Right. So, yeah, it's, we definitely understand that. We, we can't say that gender is rigid when we know that it's fluid. We know that there are people who exist in all facets of gender and in all expressions and um, and then turn around and say that Caitlyn Jenner represents all trans women or Laverne Cox represents all trans women of color because that's not the case. You know, you can't say Chaz Bono represents all trans men. You That just, it, to me, just sounds so absurd that people would even think that one person is representative of millions of people. In any given shape, we are our own person and we're our own entity and we are just but one tiny little pinpoint um on a map we're we're, we're literally just one um, and if there are enough of us together then yes perhaps we can make major waves um it just takes safety right emotional physical safety for people to, to feel like they can talk about it um and so that their voices can be heard so that they can share their stories so more people can see more things going on like oh my gosh i had no idea that this person was genderqueer. I had no idea what agender meant. Oh, I didn't even know what queer meant. I didn't know what, you know, heterosexual privilege was. All of these things, right? We are all each just one person learning and experiencing all of these different parts of life. And coming together would ideally make things so much better. Um, but the world isn't always set out to make things easy for, for, for those who are marginalized and oppressed. So it's a long road, but, you know... People just do it. My biggest investment in this podcast is leaving breadcrumbs for the people that are behind me that will be coming up. And so for you, Taylor, um, what is 
a piece of advice that you would leave for the youth that are coming up behind you that share your experience? Uh, that share my experience. What piece of advice would I give to the youth? Don't give up. Honestly, don't give up. Um, we don't know what the future is going to bring to us, and we don't know the good or the bad or the, the ups and downs, the really traumatic things or the really empowering things that are going to happen to us, but we would never know until we got there. So I, I would definitely say don't give up. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm an advocate 100% for, for claiming what's yours, creating a space for yourself. Find one person or two people who you can confide in, who you know will support you from now until the end. Um, if folks are as lucky to have the best friends that I've had, like I've had my, my two best friends since childhood, um, really three of them, three of them since childhood, um, to be able to support them and people who have supported me, you know, it just don't give up because there's, there's going to be someone who is going to look at you one day and see you and not have to ask any questions. They're just going to accept you for who you are, for all the good and the bad, the faults and the, the, through the hard times and through Friendsgiving and holiday parties and spring break and, and summer vacation and just every day, whether you're just sitting on the couch and we're watching Netflix, whether we're, you know, having brunch or on the train, just sitting next to each other. Sometimes it's just having someone who, who you know will support you um, in the ways that you need support, not just support you and say, oh my gosh, I'm here and like, that's it. But like someone who's actively invested in you, uh, find that person uh, and, and cultivate that relationship. Um, I'd even say find a mentor, someone who you can look up to and, and, and talk to, even if it's just a check-in every once in a while, but like, don't, don't definitely don't give up. Taylor, thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Like, oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate your super articulate words of wisdom um, in this short amount of time that we've talked. Um, I've learned a lot, and I really hope our audience learns a lot, too. Thank you for make making me feel so welcome. And please, 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 please be safe and take care of you. And for anyone out there who is also listening, help each other, take care of each other. We are stronger together, for sure. I would agree. Definitely. And what we hope to do with this podcast is just continue to give a voice to folks that don't normally have, you know, feel like they have a voice in, in not only the gay community, but also in this crazy world that we live in. And I think with each episode and with each um, interview that we do, uh, we're just taking part in sort of being the change, you know? Be sure to share this episode on social media. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, as at two to be podcast. So if you have any questions, um, you're welcome to always welcome to email us at ask at t2bpodcast.com. We also accept uh, suggestions, comments, criticisms, concerns, money, blowjobs, you know, anything really. <laughs> all that, all that stuff, all those things. <laughs> Coming to a city near you. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. From top to bottom. Top to bottom. Top to bottom. Top to bottom.